Good morning, church. I'm excited to see you guys. I have to arrange all my stuff. And I was told that I'm a little bit of a prima donna because I need all this extra space up here. Sorry. I have, and I'm going to knock the microphone over. Can I move this? Yes? Okay. I'm going to scoot this over here. Good morning, everybody. How are you on this cold winter day? I'm going to go back to Dallas tonight, and it's going to be 75, and I'll put my shorts on. So, but we put our New York coats on last night, and, uh, and it was cold. Um, so, um, welcome this morning. As Phil said, we are in, the, in a kind of an, a transition period in our series. So, we've been talking about who do you say I am? And you all have heard sermons on um, the prophets from the Old Testament. We talked about who Jesus was purported to be in the Old Testament and who they expected him to be. Um, And so you've heard sermons on the covenants that God made and how we're beneficiaries of those. You've heard sermons on um, the... Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, on the prophet Malachi, and the prophet Haggai, and who were they expecting Jesus to be? So that's been really exciting. So this week, we're going to talk about this weird intertestamental time, right? People are like, well, just go from Malachi to Matthew. Um, It doesn't work like that. There's 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. So I want to talk to you about what that time was like. Now, I could tell you to open your Bible to that, but you can't because there isn't anywhere to open your Bible to during that, right? And so we're going to talk about what that time was. And then, don't leave after I say this, then we have a challenge as a church after that. So I want to put that out to you all today. We're going to do some stuff together over the next couple weeks. So we're going to talk about this thing called the intertestamental period. It was when the Israelites of the Old Testament that we've been studying were waiting on Jesus. They were waiting on the first coming of Jesus. And now we're waiting on the second coming of Jesus. Um, But they were waiting on the first coming of Jesus. If you've ever been to a Catholic church or you've seen a Catholic Bible, that intermittent 400 years actually has some writings during that 400 years. It's called the Apocrypha. It's an extra seven books, sometimes ten, depending on who you're talking to. And there's writings from that time. They were not included in the Hebrew canon, but there's a lot of wisdom in those writings. They're not heretical in any way. They just weren't included in our Bible. But um, there's a lot of writings from that time so it wasn't a silent period as people think. Um, so I want to talk to you about what went on during that time. It's pretty interesting. We, we are going to come out of this part. We'll have a vision meeting and then um, we're going to come back on the, in the beginning of March and we're going to talk about the gospels and who Jesus actually was, who he was when he came in physical form to them. And so we're going to look at that. When we, when we start that, we're going to see the first 17 verses of Matthew actually harkens back to everything that we've learned in the Old Testament and, and talks about that genealogy of Jesus. So there's, there's real connection between the Old and New Testament, obviously, but we have this big space and we always wonder what that is. We, we talked at the retreat, if you were there with us at the All Church Retreat, about the road to Emmaus in, in Luke and how Jesus said to his disciples, let me talk to you about what the prophet said. Let me talk to you about that scripture. And so we're, we need to, as, we're, as we move into the gospel time in this series, I want you to continue to think about what, we had, what we've already talked about in the Old Testament because that's what Jesus understood and that's what he was teaching. And so there's direct connection and link. So we don't ever want to take the Old Testament on its own or take the New Testament on its own. We want to make sure we constantly thread those together. So we need to look at these silent years and see what was going on, right? The intertestamental period was this time between the testaments as the, as the word talks about, right? Um, it's sort of the cliffhanger in the movie, Right? You guys heard from Moses and, and Alicia the last couple of weeks saying, Jesus is coming. And then 
the season finale. And then how long do we have to wait? Right? The cliffhanger. What's going on? 400 years the Israelites had to wait for any appreciable um, difference in what they had been told by the prophets and Jesus actually arriving right as the Messiah. And we don't see that until the beginning of Matthew, until the birth story. And so woe to us to not understand what the Jewish community was doing during that time, right? Woe to us to not understand how important they were to God, how much he loved them, and how much he was still working in their lives. Listen, you're, you're all Jewish descendants, right? We, we can say there's the Jewish and there's us, but Jesus was a Jew, and the Israelites were God's chosen people. And so we need to understand that Jesus was a direct blessing from God to his people. And you are the direct beneficiary of that now. So we want to talk about those silent years. Some scholars saying, right, that there was no God-ordained prophets during that time. But there's so many things to talk about during that time. There's so many things that went on during that time. Just to give you a, a quick, if we're in the movie, right, we're, we're, we're watching the movie of the Bible. There was a lot going on. We think about the tumult of our culture now, right, and the difference in, in the things that go on around the world and the different empire building and empire taking and presidents and leaders and all these things that go on, and we think it's so chaotic. Listen, during the intertestamental period, the Israelites were under the Persians, and then they were overthrown by the Greeks, and then they were overthrown by the Egyptians, and then they were overthrown by the Syrians, and then the Jewish got a little bit of time where they had some autonomy and they were actually able to go back and cleanse their temple, and then here comes the Romans, right? Some of you have seen that movie 300, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. Um, that, I know, I have to give those references, people are like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, I know what that is, right? But, but in Galatians 4, God said, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, but the time has not fully come yet. And oh, by the way, the Israelites are getting their butts whipped during this time. They're not sitting in peace, right? It's constant chaos and constantly being put under the rule of someone else, constantly being under a different culture and a different set of values and a different expectation on them. And listen, they had already come out of, of years of that happening, right? If we go back into the Old Testament, they'd already come out of that. So now we're still in the midst of it. Um, and so eventually... They're, they um, get some, some rule, and they're able to have some autonomy. They're able to gather back in Jerusalem. Remember, before this time, Israel was divided. The northern section had broken apart due to cultural things, due to um, pagan worship, due to being separated and, and starting to deal in, in, fight, in fighting within the tribes. And the southern section in Judah had been ruled continuously over and over by different people and different things being thrust on them and different cultural things being expected of them. And so there's a lot to talk about during that time, but I want to talk to you about one specific thing that went on because these are some, I'm going to say, I'm going to say these are some badass Jews right here. We're going to talk about the Maccabean revolt. Um, I like it. It's, a, it's some good stuff, right? So what happens is there's this there's Syrian king, but he's from Greek, uh, a Greek background, and his name is Antiochus. And so he's, he comes in and he's decided that he's, he's the savior. He's the one that everybody needs to worship. He needs all of the, the Jewish people to then worship him. And he wants all of their culture in Judah to turn to the Greek culture. And so he wants to build this statue of Zeus and he wants them to worship him. And so he brings them in. This is during that, that 400 year time period, right? We're probably in about uh, 200 BC when this happens. He brings in all these um, pagan worship items to them. And he says, I'm going to take over. Now listen, they were already under Greek rule at this time. But he comes in specifically to Judah and decides he's going to take these Jewish people down a peg. 
right? I like it when people think they're going to take us down a peg. They don't realize the power of God is sitting behind us, right? So he thinks he's going to take them down a little bit. So he comes in and he puts Zeus in the temple. He puts a statue of Zeus in the temple. He says, you're going to worship this. Like, look in the movie, right? You're in the movie. They're like, what is going on? They're in the temple, right? Alicia talked to you guys about how much they had spent time rebuilding that temple. Now this dude is putting the statue of Zeus in the temple and telling them to bow to Zeus, right? So this, this certain group of people who are actually the Hasmoneans, it's called the Maccabee Revolt, but they were actually the Hasmoneans, are led by um, the patriarch of their, of their uh, family. His name is Mattathias, and he joins them, and he comes out, and they start to fight the, the soldiers that came in with Antiochus, and they're going after him, right? This is the movie. Everybody's throwing spears. You know, there's things are on fire. People are screaming, and they start fighting. I like this stuff in case you can't tell. Um, so they, and they're fighting, and the Jews are fighting hard, and they're fighting hard for a couple things. They're fighting hard for that temple because that's hallowed ground, that is sacred ground right there. And you just put a statue of Zeus in there and told me that I have to worship it. And they're fighting hard to not compromise anything about their faith. I am not going to compromise one thing about who I am and who I serve. I serve a, a, a God and I am waiting on a Messiah that I have been promised. And I am not going to compromise that to your culture. Remember, they had been rolled over several cultures, right? They got to be sick of it at this point. Right, so, and, so you think about in the movie, they're in the tent saying, man, what are we going to do? So Mattathias takes all his sons and they go out there to fight. But he ends up dying pretty early on in the, in the fight. And then his son takes over and his name is Judah. This is where the word Maccabee comes in. Maccabee means the hammer. You can just call me that from now on. I like that name, the hammer. I'm joking. I'm joking. I like the hammer. I'm going to make my daughter call me that. Um, so Judah gets renamed the hammer, and he's going in. He's going to take this thing out. He is going to make sure the Jewish people are able to serve the God they love and the God they know. He's going to do everything in his power to do that, right? So they become experts in guerrilla warfare. In the army, we used to put these things on called ghillie suits. Then you crawl around in the dirt and the bushes, and nobody can see you. I like it. I like some guerrilla warfare, Right? For those of you who don't know, I used to be in the military. I'm not just crazy. Anyway, so, that, so, he's, so Judah's into the guerrilla warfare, and he's going after these Greek guys in a way that they've never fought before. And they're thinking, what is going on? We are in control. The Greek rulers are in control. How is this group of Jews really opposing us? Right? Is it reckon to anything going on in the world today? How is this Greek of Jew? How is this group of Jews really being able to oppose us? What is going on with that, right? So the Maccabees, which is what they're then called, are able to defeat them, and they're able to take back over this area of Judah. And they end up living in about 30 or 40 years of, of relative peace and autonomy. And what happens is all the Jewish people that had been scattered for all those years all around, right, while all these other cultures are coming in and taking over and all this empire building, they all get to come back together. They get to rebuild their culture. They get to live amongst their community. They get to cleanse the temple from the statue of Zeus, right, and take that thing out and re-cleanse that temple. That's a lot of effort. That's a lot of stuff going on. There's no way that 400 years was silent. They are fighting for their God. They are fighting for their faith. They are fighting for the chance to be able to see Jesus' first coming. They're fighting for this Messiah that is coming. And so the, the Maccabees end up, they probably have, you know, a good 30 or 40 years of, of peace. And then here comes the Romans, 
right? It never lasts long. It never lasts long, right? So they come in, and then King Herod, now don't get confused. There's a lot of King Herods in the Bible. So um, King Herod comes in in about 20 B.C., Right? And he lets them, um, at this time the temple has been destroyed in 125 B.C. We've already gone through that again. Then King Herod comes in and he helps them rebuild the temple. And he's sort of on both sides of the fence. He, he wants the Jews to have some autonomy in some of their culture, but he also wants them to serve him. And so that is the world that Jesus is then born into. He is born into the Roman Empire. Right? So he's coming in on the heels of all that stuff I just talked to you about. The Messiah arrives, according to Galatians 4.4, at exactly the right time. And we'll get into his birth when we get into the Gospels. But he comes in at exactly the right time on the heels of what's going on here that we've just talked about with the Maccabees and all this change for the Israelites. And so the Maccabees were, this, this is the interesting part to me, and this is what, I, what really resonated with me when I was thinking about it. The Maccabees were fighting for their lives when God was seemingly silent. We won't go two weeks when God's silent. We're like, well, he didn't answer. I guess I gotta figure something else out, right? They went almost 400 years, several generations of resting on a promise that they knew was true. The Messiah's coming, he's coming. He's coming for you too. Messiah is coming. We're awaiting the second coming of God now. But, but how many conversations do we have with each other about, well, I prayed and it's been a week. What's going on? Where's God? He must have forgotten about me. Right? These people are out there in ghillie suits fighting, laying in the dirt, painted up, fighting for the right to wait, fighting for the right to worship. No compromise. On their part, for hundreds of years, we see them do this through all kinds of different rulers. No compromise. God is coming. He has promised me. And I'm going to stand on that promise no matter what. Right? So he's coming and, they've, and he's promised. The prophets have told them this. They were waiting. Listen, they knew what the promises were. Do you know the promises of God? Do you know what he has for you? Do you stand on it every day to say, God has promised me this. It doesn't have a lifespan to it. It doesn't have a shelf life. It's there. Right? As we've talked through the Old Testament and we've looked at who they thought the Messiah was going to be, you're the recipient of that. He already came. Right? And so sometimes what we do is we think about our circumstances. We think about what's going on in our life. And then we forget that we're still standing on the promise that the Israelites stood on. Then we're going to talk in the next few weeks about how Jesus came and what that promise looked like fulfilled. And then what we're still expecting. We still have things to expect. We're waiting on the second coming of Christ. We don't know when that's going to happen. Right? There's this place in Dallas down the road for me called the End Times Ministries. I want to go in there and see what's going on in there. Right? Because I'm interested to see what they think the end times is, right? Because we don't know. They didn't know. The Maccabees didn't know. And listen, it would have been easier to just conform to the culture. It would have been easier to just worship Zeus. It would have been easier to then take part in that power, take part in what was going on in that culture. But they said, no, we're not going to compromise. We will fight to the death to make sure that we cleanse that temple for God that we get that place back as a place of hollowed sacred ground where we can worship our God alone and we can wait 
on what we know the prophets told us. We, couldn't, we can't compromise. So as we move into this next month and we think about the, the gospels and who Jesus really became, we have to think about how the, the Israelites of that time were studying. What were they learning? What were they thinking about? Because it's what Jesus then came and taught them. It's what he reinforced to them. But it wasn't new information. They knew it. They had studied it. They had spent time in it. They understood it. That's why we tell you guys all the time, this is a really good book. Read it. Right? It's a really good book. Pick it up. It's way more exciting than anything you could find on Netflix. Right? The girls that that I have in my Bible studies were like, man, this movie is crazy. Right? It's the Real Housewives of Jerusalem and 300 and... And whatever else, like these people are crazy in here. And some crazy faith, some crazy obedience, some crazy miracles in this book. It's exciting stuff. So if we're thinking about the way that they were seeking God, how are you seeking him? When has it ever occurred to you to fight that hard? to make sure that you get to worship the God you know and that you get to spend the time doing the thing, resting on the promises that God has given us. We're all descended from that. You're the beneficiary of that. They were working to cleanse their temple, to be allowed to be in community, to worship God. We are allowed to be in community. We are allowed to worship God, and we find something else to do all the time. Right? They fought to the death for it. And we sometimes will give it up for some other really silly things, right? Well, I could go to community group, but Yellowstone's on. I got to watch that. I'm not bagging Yellowstone. It sounds good. I haven't watched it, but it sounds good. But it probably shouldn't be done in the, in the place of community, right? I just think about how they fought, how important it was to them. They were willing to die for it. And it sounds dramatic, but it's not. That's the intention. Jesus died for you. you got to have some urgency about this relationship with him. You have to have some urgency about finding him. God was working during those silent years. He's working during these years. Listen, we haven't added to the canon in hundreds of years. I understand that. The Bible is is complete, and it is ours for the taking every single day. You don't have to wait for another writing. They did. They had to wait for the next person to come. They had to wait for the next word. You don't have to do that. The Bible is complete. It's in your hands every single day. You know, during, one thing I will say about the Greeks, when they, when they took over, they translated the Bible into Greek. They made sure they had a Greek translation so people could read it. They went to great lengths for that. We won't even walk across the room and get our Bible off the bedside table. No compromise. We'll do what we have to do to make sure we can reach our God. So listen, as we move forward, we got a challenge. Starting today, we're going to enter a time of fast and prayer together as a church. Super Bowl's over. You're not going to miss any wings, cheese sticks. And I'm not even asking you to fast from food, so hang on just a second. I want you to think when I say the word fast to you, what does it mean? What is the immediate thing that comes to your mind? If I say the word fast, you think, I'm going to give up chocolate. 
I'm gonna give up Dr. Pepper. How many people have you talked to over the past few weeks that are saying, for Lent, I'm gonna give up X, right? Let me just say something. God does not give a rat's, well, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna say that. God does not care if you give up chocolate for 40 days and then walk back over there and take it back up. What does that do for his kingdom? Nothing. Show some perseverance on your part, good on you. If you're eating too much chocolate and you want to do that for a personal reason, get after it. It does nothing for the kingdom of God for you to give something up and go right back to it the second the clock strikes midnight on the last day of your fast and there's been no change and no transformation and no extra capacity for God and no room for God. The Maccabees gave it all up in the silent years when they couldn't see what was going to happen. You know what's going to happen. You have the promise already written down. We're going to fast and pray as a church in a different way. And I'm about to read to you a passage out of Isaiah that tells us exactly what we need to do. But I want, what I want you to do right now before I do that is open your heart and mind to what it might look like to fast in a way that God wants you to. Not something that's comfortable to you. And not something that makes you feel like you're doing something useful for you. And the reason I'm telling you this is because a few weeks ago, I called Phil and I said, hey, God's telling me to fast and pray. I need to do that. I need to kind of get in some quiet. And he was like, okay, fine. And, and so I went to fast and pray. And, and I got, you know, I, I did my daylight hours, no food. And I got my Bible out and I read some Hebrew and I dug in and I read some Titus and at the end of it I was so proud of myself look what I did God was like bully for you what did that have to do with me did you ever consult me on what I needed you to do during that time now listen what I did wasn't bad right reading some Hebrews not eating like I'm, I'm good it wasn't bad it had nothing to do with the kingdom of God so we're going to do some fast and pray together as this church, and we're going to submit that time to him individually. It won't look the same for anybody in here. I'm not asking everybody to give up food 12 hours a day for the next two weeks. I'm going to ask you to individually dig in for yourself, figure out where you're compromising. Where are you compromising? Where do you need to repent? Where do you need to lay something down? Where do you need to give something up permanently? Because you need to offer that capacity to God. We're going to do some transformation, not a temporary show of perseverance. Do we understand the difference? Not a temporary show of perseverance. Listen, I like some discipline. I like a 30 days without something. I'm all about it, right? Army part of me loves that, that structure. But what does it do for the kingdom of God? What does it do for your heart? What does it do for this community? What does it do for your role in this community? Because you have one. You belong to this community and this kingdom. So let me read to you out of Isaiah 58. If you have your Bibles or you want to read it along with me, you can. God has kept me in this, um, in this verse for, oh my gosh, I can't even tell you how long now. Because he's like, you didn't consult me and now we're going to do it again. Right? Now listen, I want you to listen as I read this to you with the thought process that God's talking to you, not me. So overlay however he speaks to you over my voice. I'm not talking to you, but I want you to listen to this verse. It's a little bit long, so just, just bear with me for a second because this is what I need you to meditate on over the next few days so we can figure out what God's saying to you. In Isaiah 58, it says, shout with the voice of a trumpet blast, shout aloud, don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins, yet they act so pious. 
They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn about me. They act righteous. They would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. Why have you, we have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on on ourselves and you didn't even notice. Right? We're like, hey God, look at what I did. You didn't even notice. I'll tell you why I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself in ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will heal quickly. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. That's when you call and the Lord will answer, I am here. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden and an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities and then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Keep the Sabbath holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath and everything you do on that day and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I have promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. So can you imagine what I was thinking when I read that after I spent a couple weeks in Hebrews and sitting at my desk all quiet, not eating. God was like, excuse me, do you think maybe there was more to that? I asked you a second ago to think about the fast that came to your mind when I said the word fast. Now what comes to your mind after you read what God says it is? Isaiah 58 is powerful stuff, guys. He's saying This is what I need you to do for me. You are part of the kingdom of God and I need your action, not your passivity. I need you to come and fast in prayer and sit with me and let me tell you where I need you to take action and then I need you to go. I need you to do the things that I need you to do that only you individually can do because you're the one I've equipped. You're the one I've equipped to deal with that family member. You're the one I've equipped to deal with that person at work. You're the one I've equipped to love on that person that nobody else sees. You're the one I've, I've equipped to spend that time in that situation. And me sitting in my home office reading Hebrews didn't do anything for anybody but me. Now, it'll help when we get into the Hebrews series, but that doesn't do anything for you all right now. And God didn't ask me to do it. 
We gotta think about what we're doing. Are you doing it for you? Or are you doing it for God? Were the Maccabees fighting for themselves or were they fighting to ensure that the holy sacred place of God stayed that way and that they got to go there and worship the God they know? During this time when we think about fasting, when we think about this time with God, I want us to think about where we're compromising. I heard a sermon recently in the, and what the preacher said, here's the things I want you to think about. Change of attitude. He was talking about something else, but it was so poignant for this. Change of attitude, change of affection, change of action. I love that. What if we went into a time with God where we were going to change our attitude about something, where we were going to let him take it over, where we were going to let him inform it? What if we went into a time where we changed our affections, where our affections were for the things that God cares about, not the things that we care about? What if we went into a time where we changed our actions? What if the money that we didn't spend on the chocolate we didn't eat went to something that was important? What if we were able to give that to someone who could use it for something? Right? What if the time that we didn't spend watching X show, whatever it is, was spent in time with someone who needed help, in time with someone who needed something that nobody else could give them but you? No one else saw them. No one else recognized that, right? It's a call to action. We are not doing a passive fast. What can you repent of, right, and, and turn from that gives God more power in your life? Where are the, the ugly places that need to be dug out and that God needs to have that capacity and he needs to occupy that space? Where are the places you need to heal? Because those are places where the devil gets to use you and he gets to play around with you. And if we could heal those places up, then God could use those places. Where will we refuse to compromise? Where do we need to be obedient? We say we're part of the kingdom of God. Put your money where your mouth is. We have to be convicted about this. The Maccabees and the Israelites during the, inner, the silent period were convicted about who they served and who they knew and who they loved. Are you convicted about it or you come in here on Sunday morning and act like you're worshiping God and go right back out and live the other six days of your life as if he doesn't exist. And submit not one decision to him, not one action to him, not one interaction to him. Because it's easier to do whatever the culture tells me to do. It's easier to just blend in in New York City. And I know that. I understand that. But what is the point of that? It would have been easier for the Jewish people to blend in in the Greek culture. And let me tell you something. If they had done that, if they had compromised, potentially you would not be sitting here with the ability to worship free right now. What they did is directly giving you the benefit to read this Bible and dig in and worship your God and serve him in any way that he asks you to. There is nobody, at least right now, trying to kill you in that endeavor. If they are, call me. I'll come. We'll bring the hammer, right? I won't back down from a fight. But we got to look that we have some freedom here. And right now the fight is internal to you because you're choosing to compromise it. No one is externally keeping you from it. It's just easier to go along with the flow, to go along with culture, to go along with the city tells you is okay. Instead of looking at what God wants you to do and really digging in. This is the cliffhanger in your movie. 
The second coming of Jesus is coming. We are expecting it. We are hopeful. We are excited about that. And we're going to talk about that in the next few weeks. And I can't wait to dig in that with you. But what are you expecting? And what should Jesus be expecting of you? Who is he going to find when he comes? Is he going to have to come drag you out of the culture of New York City and say, hey, did you, do you remember me? Or is he going to see you standing right there ready to serve? You've been waiting. You've been expectant. You've been obedient. You've been digging in. You've been seeking him. you got to make a decision. And oh, by the way, most of you guys that tell me about all the problems that are going on in your lives, the next couple weeks we ought to be digging in to where Jesus is in that stuff because I would be willing to bet you he's nowhere in it. And that's the problem. So let's submit it. Let's let him in. Let's see what that looks like. We are going to have a prayer night on the 10th of March. I want you to put it in your calendars. I don't want you to miss it. 10th of March, right here in this room. We are going to lay on the floor. We are going to lay on the windowsills. We are going to pray together. We are going to pray separately. We are going to do whatever God calls. We are going to open these doors. There's other churches coming. We're opening this thing up in New York. And you're going to come in. And we're just going to sit in prayer. And worship to our God. We don't have to fight the Greeks to get the temple open so we can go worship God. We can come in here and worship God any way we see fit. You can dance, you can lay on the floor, you can cry, you can do whatever you want. But on the 10th of March, we're going to gather as a community and we're going to say, we're going to take back this place of no compromise. Why are we in this city It is a broken place. All you have to do is walk down the street to see that. Why do you live here as one of God's chosen people? What is your role? What is your call to action? And as we do this fast and prayer together over the next couple weeks, whatever that thing is that you're not supposed to take back, whatever that new call to action is, I want you to come in here on the 10th of March and seal that thing up. We're going to come in here together, and we're going to pray over it. We're going to seal it up, and we're going to continue. We aren't ending anything on the 10th of March. We're not going to come in on the 10th of March and lay out the chocolate food bar and tell you you can end your fast. Not that I wouldn't like that, but that's not what we're going to do. There won't be any chocolate. Don't be disappointed. I'm telling you now. But what we are going to do is come in here and say to each other, look each other in the eye and say, this is what Jesus is saying to me. What's he saying to you? And I'm going to hold you accountable and you're going to hold me accountable. And we're going to get after the work that God has in this city because we are failing. We are failing as God's chosen people to do the work that he needs us to do. We don't fight. We don't get in a place of no compromise. We are taking the easy way out. We are saying, look at me. I persevered. Look what I did. And God's saying, what did it do for my kingdom? What are you doing for my kingdom? We got to get after it. So write that down on your calendars, 10th of March. I can't wait to do that with you all. Listen, we are living in this new covenant time. Last thing and we're going to pray. Jeremiah 31, 31, one of my favorite verses. This is what you are reaping from everything that the Israelites went through. It says, the day is coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Can God say that about us? 
And do we care enough to try to get his instructions written on our heart and go and do the work that he needs us to do in the kingdom? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for letting us see your love for the Jewish people. We are the beneficiaries of that love now. We're so grateful. Lord, we just ask as we go into this next week, couple weeks, you would speak to each of us individually. What is our call to action? Where are we compromising? Where do we need to repent? Where do we need to lay something down? Where do we need to spend our time and energy? Please speak to each individual person. Give us revelation. Give us purpose. We want to partner with you. You've trusted us with so much. And to whom much is given, much is expected. And we want to be part of that with you. I ask that your voice would be loud to the people of this church. That your presence would be tangible to the people of this church. That we would rise up and fight for people to know you, for people to understand you, for people to be able to reap the benefit of a relationship with you, that we would fight with that, for that with an urgency that we haven't before. We're so grateful for what you've done for the people of this church. I ask for blessing and favor on every single one of them, whether here in this room or online. They would understand how much they mean to you, how much you have for them, what you've already given them, and what they can expect to come from you in the future, that, that this story is not finished. And we are part of the writing of this story. We have role in that. I ask that we would be convicted about that, that, we'd be, that we would soak ourselves in your words in Isaiah, that we would understand the things that you need from us, that our hearts would be broken for the things that break your heart, that we would be able to understand those better and clearer, that you would bring those experiences in front of our face and that we would recognize them. We wouldn't turn away that we wouldn't be too busy or, or too preoccupied that we would understand. Lord, we ask all this. We cover these people with your blessing. We ask for your authority to fall on them. We ask for the Holy Spirit to come down and walk this journey out with them. We ask for you to, to prepare this space for March 10th, that we would come in and seal up the things that you've given us, that we would realize that this is a time of transformation, not a time of temporary circumstance, that the after March 10th and beyond is where you're going to do the work. That there is no end to this fast in prayer. That this is really a time of, of turning away from and moving forward to something that you have that's better. We lift this up and ask all this in your son's holy name. Amen.